Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. Okay, I'm ready to go. It's showtime. Episode 55 coming in. Episode 55. That's LV, folks, coming in hot. (laughs) Just like a fajita. (laughs) That's Nate's creepy voice. <laughs> uh, yes. it is, is that my I think I have several creepy voices. I've got many a creepy voice. Yeah. Is that your like sort of a sort of a Batman voice? So maybe it's not creepy. Oh, I could do Batman voices. I run because they need me to run. <laughs> I bat because they need me to bat. I am bat. I am bat. <laughs> you had yes. a lot of baseball. We just concluded. I watched the bat the uh, Nolan Batman trilogy recently with my children and yeah, they were highly amused, and it made the Lego Batman movie just that much funnier for all of them. Yeah, what do you they think? Al- they already found it funny. Yeah, and and now that he uses his silly voice with a reason, now they find it really funny. Now it's really funny. Yep, but they did enjoy, uh, especially the filtered version. Remember, I don't remember what I filtered, but I did filter it. Maybe. Yeah, clear, I'm, clear play. I, I think it's on clear play. I'm trying to remember what in. What in I think there some, I think some language. I think there's some language. That but, might be um, true. And some, there's every now and then there's kind of like a, a skanky thing when he's trying to sell himself as billionaire playboy. Mm-hmm. So it's, it was pretty light though. It was a pretty light filter. Yeah. What, what's your take on the Nolans? Many people say those are their favorite superhero movies ever. Oh gosh. Many people should get over themselves and Christopher Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're so this, bad. This is the takes we come to oh. episode Five, five, Stories four. are soul food and sometimes they are emotional constipation. I mean, that, that franchise is so insufferably self-serious. It's just painful. What made Lego Batman fantastic is the lighthearted humor. And what makes those good is the cinematography and the score and the mood and everything else. And what makes them terrible is just the deep, dark self-seriousness. Yeah. I have a very terrible backstory, but I'm ninja trained. <laughs> <laughs> Raz Al Ghul to the yeah. rescue for mm, uh, ninja, ninja trained. And the reason why Joker was so huge is because he provided some levity. I mean, just some. There's some amount of like, oh, it's not all just mood, just nonstop perpetual mood. Darkness. It's like, here, try some Mayan chocolate. It's 100% cacao. <laughs> <laughs> Open wide. I'm going to put it in your yeah, nostrils yeah. at the same time. Yeah, okay. And your eyes. Okay. I'm and getting the metaphor. I'm getting the metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't most people say, though, that they love those... Well, people tell me they love the trilogy because the Joker's so scary. They think he's the best villain ever. Yeah, the Joker's pretty solid. I'm not going to argue with the Joker, but I will... Well, that's not true. I totally will. But the performance is fantastic. The thing that's stupid about the Joker is that this is something that uh, Christians tend to do with evil in general, is that they, they make him basically omniscient. And, you know, he's able to wire a hospital with explosives and no time at all. <laughs> no time required. It's like, you know, that, that takes a lot. And it, the, the ability to just know everything, I can be everywhere, I can do anything. Evil that is all-knowing and everywhere and seems insane. Like, well, that's actually not how this works. 
Okay, because insane people are insane, and it's not the yeah. same thing as a yep as a mastermind. really really high functioning psychopathic. Like, no, this guy would be an amazing COO. This guy is the king of operations. He is really really yeah. good at managing personnel. He's really good at <laughs> HR. He's really good at schedules. I mean, he's booked people months in advance. He fires and hires, rehires, and I mean, his, his hiring process must be really rigorous because his underlings and lackeys just all perform to the T. Yeah, even, and he only has to put a pencil in one's eye occasionally. <laughs> Every now and then. But uh, his, yeah, the performance is fantastic, but you, you have, this is a perfect example of how storytellers try to marry totally contradictory personality traits. Right. And say, see, it's all one, it's all together. Yeah, you can be He's a complete madman. Complete agent of chaos who yep. is the master. Highly, highly organized, highly, highly informed. You know, yeah. he is he is the one and the many. He is order and chaos, but is chaos. It's like he can be one of those things. So maybe if Heath My favorite thing about him is that he his constant stories about how he got the scars. The just the the false stories. Like he's just always spinning stories about it so yeah. if he's crazy he's crazy right and there are high functioning psychopaths and they tend to not do that okay yeah because i'm In wondering i'm wondering do you like moriarty better sherlock holmes's villain does he make more mm. sense to you sort of a an extreme mathematical genius they both seem like placeholders for evil yeah because sherlock holmes doesn't really need a reason to be solving crime there doesn't need to be a lord of the underworld. both of both of them represent to me, we're getting derailed here, but both of them represent to me the uh, the need and the comfort that man has with omniscient evil, while totally uncomfortable with omniscient benevolence. Wait, the comfort we have with omniscient evil? We are totally evil? comfortable, and we have a desire for omniscient evil. Uh, we, oh, we does that get us out a, of trouble, then? We kind of yearn for the cosmic evil mastermind to be resisted and fought because it explains our own situation. Mm where we struggle is with the idea of an omniscient God mm. that we actually have to serve and obey. And we fight that, but we all leap gladly into the, the storytelling and into the wish fulfillment of a Moriarty or a, a Joker. So but that's more about collective uh, social psychology and so on. But that's episode 56. <laughs> easily. What were we talking about? We're, we're talking were about bad endings. Bad endings. Uh, the, well, then we are on theme. So, bad endings, we were talking about the Batman trilogy here, and we have little things like Morgan Freeman resigning in, in a dudgeon that could be called high. <laughs> <laughs> in high dudgeon. A Saying to Batman, how dare you? How dare you triangulate people with their cell phone signals? How dare you, Batman? This mm. is an invasion of privacy. Mm. Don't do that. Stay dressed up in a bat suit sneaking through their windows at night. That's not an invasion of privacy. <laughs> but using their cell phone signals to triangulate, to get some sense of omniscience, if you're the good guys, is horrible uh, and yeah. evil and wicked. And of course, that was about George W. Bush and the Patriot Act at the time. Um, and very ham-handed. Just and, subtweeting, subtweeting yeah, yeah. at Bush presidency. And whatever. It's not like I'm a big fan of the Patriot Act, but it was funny and ham-handed and stupid. Um, but I think the worst, the worst ending I've seen in a long time is I run because they need me to run. <laughs> but, 
like, oh gosh. And the number of people I've heard say, see, it's messianic. He's willing to be the scapegoat. Like, oh, you. That's not what that means. That's uh, correct. Yeah. That is not what that means. That is, I don't think, I don't think him means what you think him means. <laughs> I'm not sure that, I mean, that's kind of the Nolan move, right? He always loves to jump above direct interpretation into something that feels. Yeah, into postmodernism of like, I'm, I'm guilty because you need me guilty as opposed to because I am actually guilty. I'm not actually guilty. I am just the guilty one because you need a guilty one. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's not the atonement. That's not what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Just because there's a, not all goats are scapegoats or perhaps not all scapegoats <laughs> are the scapegoat. Not all goats are scapegoats. Yeah. How much scape could a scapegoat goat? If a scapegoat could scapegoat. <laughs> yeah. With that said, I think- How much butter could a butterfly fly? If a butterfly could fly butter. There's so many words you can do this with. More think, should I be done. I think you've unlocked a- That's yeah. something. Yeah. Well, the, the question, there's some equivocation on bad endings because I think what most people, I mean, it makes me laugh when they say, hey, can a story have a bad ending? <laughs> and I think what they mean is, can a story have a tragic ending? But yes. Yeah, uh, of course it can. Can it have an incorrect ending? Also, yes. <laughs> so the answer is yes. Um, the question they're really asking, I thought, you know, after, you know, making fun of the question answer asker, we should go to Eli because we've just been reading Eli and in, in Samuel, or at least I have. Mm, and yeah. I think you've named a character after Eli. I have. And if we're talking about tragic endings, uh, Eli mm. dies at the exact bottom possible or the worst moment for his story, with the Ark of the Lord captured, his son's killed. Um, I don't know. His son's being killed is, I think, an, an improvement. Yeah. So I guess that question, what, it, can you write a novel or a children's story? Because we actually have to distinguish between four kids and four adults on this one too. But can you write that story right there, Eli's life? What does that look like? What would you think sure. about if you said, yeah. you know, you have bad things happen, but you do have I think we'd say you write the comedy in the in the sense of the word. Uh, yeah, but it depends on if you're writing in series or not. I think Eli is living clearly in series. Okay. So I, I mean, if you think about endings, I have an Ashtown. Mm -hmm. um, the endings in Ashtown are very much Eli endings. Um, so doesn't I mean very much so. So you're saying Eli works because he's at the beginning of Samuel. Yeah, and he's already passed off God's voice to the boy Samuel. Yep. And Samuel's the one who's going to guide the people of Israel. Correct. So Eli's being phased out. So in that sense, it's a bad ending to the first chapter. Or the, yeah, it's a hang, it's a cliffhanger. Yeah. It's a jarring cliffhanger that that slingshots you into the next episode. Mm -hmm. So if you're if you're watching a TV series, you don't want every episode to close off with resolution. And it shouldn't close off with resolution you should close off with the uh the tension that needs to be resolved and explored in the next episode and so right. the the passing of the baton basically and so um uh, bad endings in micro in isolation like specific to a nation specific to a character specific to a family a region a city there are many 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 of those and in in broader context i think we have to say uh, with various philosophers through the uh, through the years that we actually are in, if we're talking about the the big macro tapestry, 
the dance, the whole picture, the entire story that God's telling that we are in the best of all possible stories. And so you can grab a slice and look at one little frame, one little corner and say, but, but there's a dark, this is dark chocolate, mm-hmm. but this, this thing is hard. This is dark. But yeah, it is. It is. And in the whole, it, it works. In the whole, this glorifies God. This, this does its job. Uh, it contributes to the symphony here. And so Eli's role in the story, in the whole story, glorifies God. And he contributes to the, to the entire thing, to the entire picture. Uh, if you just said, man, this is a novel that's just Eli with his terrible sons and his own failure and then his death. Like, okay, why, why are we reading this? Like, what's... Yeah, so you're saying we have to read it understanding that Eli's grandson, the Ichabod, the glory's departed, yeah. is the idea that the glory will come back. So there's got to be that element of almost where we are... Ex- we, the- Creation of yearning to return because who, who is Eli handing things off to? Samuel, what is Samuel famous for? Like establishing the rule of the kings, specifically most famous for uh, removing the anointing from Saul and giving it to David, who is the one who returned the ark. Right. And so it's like there's all, there's all this and wanted to build the temple and God said no. <laughs> you know, like there's. Yeah. And is David a tragedy? And like, no, David's not a tragedy either. Um, but there's different portions of his life that are, you know, mm-hmm. if you were to slice different, different portions. Yeah. I think people who are yearning for sad endings have probably just been reading too much cheese. That, <laughs> that's, that's kind of one of my thoughts is, is yearning like people who yearn for the sad. Well, you're saying, I just want a real book. You know, I, I've, I've heard some folks or I imagine they're thinking, Hey, I just want a real book. And all these happy endings just seem so fake, you know, real life sad. <laughs> Is that a faithless way to the, be? Yeah. Yes. You're terrible. <laughs> All of you are terrible. I've probably um, created a straw man. No, no. You're they're out there. They're listening and they're awful. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the question. Um I th- I think that you have a a situation where it's kind of it's kind of weird. There's a weird fascination with darkness that some people have, a fascination with hardship and they tend to be people who do not have any hardship hmm. in their lives. They don't actually have hardship. Hmm. So, and that's this just kind of by design. So, if you have a boy who loves war stories, you know, just loves it, loves it, loves it, and he really, really loves reading, reading all these books, watching all these war movies, and then he actually gets swept up into a conflict. And let's let's say this kid is living through the late 30s, you know, and he, he's at the height of the American ethos and, and gunslingers and cowboys and adventures. And he gets thrown onto Guadalcanal, you know, and like he's, he's all the way in the worst of the worst of the worst, you know. Once he's crawled through the guts of 3,000 disemboweled men, like how many of those little war stories and combat stories is he going to want to read? Yeah. You know, this is something I was talking to my son about, about the sentimentality of pop Christmas songs from that mid-century area, that area, era. Um, you know, just how sugary, sweetie nice it all was on a, on a wide pop level. I'm trying to remember which songs we're talking like about. Like Bing, the Bing Crosby oh, era. okay, like gotcha, the, All yeah. the Bing Crosby thing, everything, everything. And even just like, I'll be home for Christmas. I remember 
you know, like the guys talking about trying to get back to pumpkin pie in Pennsylvania and all this kind of stuff. And I remember how emotionally impactful that song was to my grandfather. It's mm. like, how? I mean, it's a marshmallow. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, that's just, it's a marshmallow. It's like, well, because he'd missed multiple Christmases through two wars. So when you've been through two wars and you've killed many thousands of people, you've been in combat, you've missed your kids on Christmas because you might be dying because you're in combat. It's like, you know what? A little bit of the saccharin is awfully nice. So then you go on the other side, you go to our lives where you have a housewife who actually has it freaking easy. She has a husband who works hard, puts food on the table. She has a great minivan. <laughs> you know, it's like, but you know what? It's not exciting. There's nothing exciting happening. There's nothing, you know, it's like the most exciting thing happening is that, you know, Johnny's having some trouble with diarrhea repeatedly. <laughs> you know, it's like there's, that's, that's it. And she, she's yearning for, you know, a harder story, a, you know, a tougher story. It's like, well, well, the reason why is because you are living safely inside of city walls that other people have died to build. And so it's, it's easy to like throw your imagination way outside, you know, to, to want to be out there where things are hard and grueling and brutal. Like, well, if you ever were out there, you know, if that ever happened um, to you, then uh, you would be watching Shirley Temple for the rest of your days. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's right. just, it's one of those things where, where there's just aspects of our own experience that are missing. People who have been uh, drug addicted and miraculously saved, you know, who have real darkness, like real, real darkness, tend to not be as drawn to tales of real darkness. Right. You're just basically saying Saving Private Ryan was not made for the World War II vets. No, it was not made for guys who crawled up Omaha Beach through the, you know, yeah. through the limbs of their friends. Right. You know, like that's, it was, it was made for the people who don't real who didn't realize what those men went through. And so, you know, the, when people say, I want a real story, it's like, well, you know what? There's a place for real, honest stories like Saving Private Ryan to take the person who lives a very safe life. Uh, and say, hey, I'm going to vicariously give you a glimpse of what it's like over here to honor the honorable. Yeah. Like, but when you say, I want to give you this vice tourism, which is what it usually comes down to, I want to, I want to actually give you vice tourism or damnation tourism. I want to like take you, what would it be like to be, uh, you know, to be a meth whore in the alleys of Seattle? What would that be like? I want to read a book like that. Yeah. Like, are there meth whores in the alleys of uh, Seattle? Yes. There are. So let's write that book. And I want Housewives of Des Moines to really know yeah. to, to what end. <laughs> like what's right. Is it, you know, what's what's the actual goal for that story? What are you trying to accomplish? And there can be valuable goals for storytelling like that, for for storytelling that focuses a spotlight on some dark aspect of culture where you're saying we're gonna try to expose this for whatever, provoking legislation or charity fundraising or any number of things. There can be motivation. I mean, I think you that. talk about Tom Wolfe as yeah. a great, as an example yeah. of someone who writes about bad stuff. Yeah, Tom Wolfe writing I Am Charlotte Simmons, saying here, I'm going to give you the actual parents weekend. At, the, know, at the Ivy League. At these, at these schools. I'm going to drag you by the ears through these institutions and not on parents weekend. So you can really yeah. see what it's actually like before you make your decisions. Like that, that's a great thing. But he also does things, other things where it's less valuable and it's more just his excuse is it's real. 
you know, Back to Blood is that way, his, his story, but he focuses a whole bunch of his scenes in Back to Blood on Spring Breakers in, in Miami, and it's just horrendous. It's like, mm-hmm. but, but why, Tom? Like, why? Mm-hmm. I don't go there for a reason. There's a reason why I don't go, you know, to Miami for Spring Break. There's no upside for me to be there. Yeah, I think we have an idea that if it's real, you have to watch it. Or you, you have, have to excuse. know about it. You have some kind of excuse. Okay, yeah. So you're saying I like there's this this speaks to libido in some way or yeah. this speaks to my desire to feel something different. So it's okay because it's real. Right. Yeah. Just know that we fell, mankind fell because we ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which means knowing there is a knowledge of good and evil that is bad for us. And it's not just knowledge of evil. There's a knowledge of good that is also bad for us. Hmm. So there are things that are not healthy for us to know. And we could say, but it's true. It's real. God knows it. In other words, God knows it. Therefore, I have a right to know it. It's like actually incorrect. That is the, that is the slope down which the entire human race fell. Don't use that excuse. Like That is the excuse that got the fruit put in the mouth of man mm-hmm. in the first place. So don't you do it either. Yeah. Do you see any place for writing a tragedy, say like Agamemnon? Guy comes home for war and is oh, murdered, man. murdered in his bathtub. <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> so it just depends. Yeah. Yeah. Depends totally. on the mood that's on me. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's actually, I think it has to do a lot with, with, for a creator, it has a lot to do with expenditure of time. I only have so much time in my life. I only have so many creative hours in my days. And so if I think, man, I need to put this, I'm going to put this into the world and it might, it might be good for 18 people. This might be, this might be effective for, yeah, for 18. It's not going to be good for millions, but there's 18 people out out there who need this. And I'm just Mm going to, this kale chip, I'm going to make a kale chip. The mood is on me. Low sodium kale chips. I'm going to make a low sodium (laughs) kale chip and I'm going to put it out there and there's going to be somebody who needs it. Sure. If that, if that fancy really took me, I, th- I think, sure, fine. But it's unlikely. Yeah. When I'm looking at um, stories with overtly sad endings, when you Google what are sad endings to stories, you get stuff popping up that's Drek, like Fault in Our Stars. Right. Where, uh, what is this? 40, 40 plus Yale professor is playing with the emotions of teenagers with cancer. <laughs> you know? Um I, I have not had the privilege of reading The Fall Is of Is John Stars. a Yale professor now? I can't remember. He's a professor of sorts. I, I, oh, gosh. I just, I'm throwing He's Yale. He's a and... funny dude. I mean, the thing that's funny, I like John. John's fun, but I've not hung out with him in a long time. Yeah. But it's, uh, I've never read one of his books. <laughs> <laughs> I've only that's read- That's the kind of uh... thing you don't say on a podcast, right? But, <laughs> but it's okay. He's never read one of mine. I know this to be, I know this to be true. We've- Hosted cocktail parties together, but we've never read each other's stuff. Yeah. And he was he was a great cellmate. Awesome. You know, in terms of uh I've only read Turtles all the way down. Okay. Yeah. I found him to be commercially extremely astute. Like Nicholas. <laughs> That's what I was like gonna Nicholas say. Nicholas Sparks, I... just being like, you know what? Hats off to you for making enormous amounts of money off of the emotional vulnerabilities of the feeble-minded. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, to me, he was—he had a couple of blog posts about why you would publish in particular routes, and he was saying, "Hey, here's how much money I can make here. Here's how much I can make yeah. here." And he was running the calculus on it, and that yeah. was very helpful for me as a publisher. That's actually one of the reasons why I liked him. It's because there's there was just a 
straight up honesty about him and because he's legitimately funny. He's a legitimately funny guy to hang out with and talk to. Well, at a cocktail party, that's not the worst. No, it's not. Especially when surrounded by hundreds of librarians who are drinking too much, which is a completely different problem. Who are very into the Dark Knight trilogy. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I don't know about that. But you end up in situations like that where you have to kind of go back to back with somebody and just fight for your life. This sounds awesome. I need to hear. I need to hear <laughs> yes. more. How long are these things? Oh, that was that one was that. I think we were at one event together briefly, then one one longer one that was tough. But he acquitted himself like a man, and I ended up running basically. Okay, that was a pretty wild event. I actually exiting that when I got into a town car and was pursued into the town car by people, <laughs> and. I just got out the other side of the town car into traffic and then my town car drove off and with these people in the back seat. Oh wow. And I was standing in traffic waiting for another one. But that, wow, that, that was sound. that was the kind of event that one was. I think it was in Atlanta, I think. It was a city. <laughs> it happened in a city. Happened in Hotlanta. Yeah, but anyway, so I don't know how we got onto that. Bad endings, John. <laughs> you and your bad endings. Well, I just was trying to think because it's easy to pick. He says as he deposits another check. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah John is John is a, a gifted financier, shall we say. He's also great at voice, I think. I think he, he does that. Yes. He knows how to get inside someone's yep. head and make you feel for that person. No, he's very talented and he's very uh, cunning. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean he's very, very much a chess player when it comes to what he's going to write and why and how, and then he can execute. So yeah. he calls a play and he executes that play and he executes it well. So it's not the play I would call, but for a lot of reasons, but he does it and he does it well. Yeah. Okay. I just happen to hate that stuff. That's not for me. Right. You think of children's stories with tragic endings and there aren't a ton i don't know that so is there some sense in which children don't need the soul food of a tragic ending uh it's going to depend on the time you know so the saddest we get is charlotte's web which is a great book (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's a fantastic book and i think it is exactly the kind of tragic ending that kids need i mean there's old yeller there's things like that right but it depends on the time in which you live. I think right now, kids don't need tragic endings. I think kids right now living through this time need stories of courage, bravery, despite consequence. That's what's needed. In, a, in an age of wealth and luxury and entitlement, they need you know, stories of sacrifice and tragedy. Mm. So, Gotcha. What do you think for adults? Should we be seeking out books like 1984 and The Road? Yeah, we uh, should have a long time ago. It's just bizarre to me how much everything all of our cheap profits ever say comes through. Hmm. Just everything. So 1984, everything Orwellian, everything, you know, Fahrenheit 451, ev- everything. Like, and here it is coming to pass. Yeah. Again and again. Uh, Walter Kern was tweeting the other day about if you want to know the future, watch bad sci-fi or something like that. And he, he tweeted a clip from a 2017 just bad movie in which I think Michael Douglas is playing a villain 
He's tried to spread a disease to reveal the weaknesses of the medical establishment in America and how he's trying to provoke, basically, he's trying to provoke like some kind of military medical reaction and how this, this military medical infrastructure must be built at all costs. And we must be able to isolate the infected and we must be able to shut down. <laughs> and he basically does this whole villain monologue well, no. right before this chick shoots him that is exactly what we just did. <laughs> And it was seen as this super cheap, lame, like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And like, and here we are, three years later, literally just three years after it was seen as like ridiculously stupid. We did it. We just didn't get the <laughs> we, we did it. We didn't get the monologue, so we yeah, missed we like, missed it. <laughs> or somebody did. Fauci got the monologue and Fauci was like brilliant. <laughs> that trial balloon went quite well. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's really strange. And so I think right now the kind of stories adults need. I mean, they need Bonhoeffer. They need all sorts of stories like that. And that's a tragedy, right? Yeah. So, you know, those types of things, is it a tragedy or is it not a tragedy? Adults and children need calibration on even what is tragic and what is comic. Is it tragic to slowly compromise and lose your soul and survive? Or is it tragic to make a the stand? The answer is yes. <laughs> yes. Or is it tragic to keep your soul, keep your virtue make a stand against evil and lose yeah fail temporally yeah and win eternally and the, the problem is that darwinism creeps into everything and we think survival is a virtue we've talked about that before and it's not survival is no virtue it is not virtuous to simply survive one of the things one of the weird things that happens when you write enough books and i'm at whatever 13 and a half novels or something like that now 14 i don't know is that quotes get pulled and used all over the place. Right. And one of them comes from, one of the most frequently quoted is from Daniel Ann Fire, and it's Fat Frank, uh, Frank the Fat Fairy, talking about the goal when you stand is not necessarily to survive. Like, we don't stand because it is, because we're going to survive, because we think we're going to survive. We stand because it's, we stand against evil because it's right to do so. Like, you know, you plant your feet and take your stand because this is, this is good and right. Not because, oh, I'm going to survive this conflict easily. Yeah, like that's right. You know, it's if David walked out to, to face Goliath thinking, oh, piece of cake, then what, what was the virtue? Like, no, he, he walked out because there was this man blaspheming the God of Israel and somebody needed to have done this, that all of Israel was being shamed. Yeah. And no one was showing any degree of faith or standing up for the God of Israel. So he, he walked out. Yeah, it's established truth that uh, courage is the testing point of all the virtues, right? Yeah. So you don't have the virtue until you've had to have it when it hurts. Exactly. And so is Samson a tragedy? Story of Samson? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I've got, um, you know, I've got a manuscript, you've read it, a manuscript that it's a little right. kid's version, you know, a uh, kind of a retro noir graphic novel typologically Samson that's not you know he doesn't have right. long hair and he's not a mighty man in that way but it's a little kid following the Samson arc right and except you made it you wouldn't say that you've changed the ending you say you've changed the scope so that we can see the happy ending of Samson yes I've changed where the veil is and so I think I mentioned on this before on this podcast before that when I would tell my kids the story of Samson when they were little I think telling my three-year-old son the story of Samson I would tell it right through to the end and yeah. then ask, and then keep going. Blind and dead. Is yeah, the he's end. blind and dead, and he just killed thousands of Philistines. He just killed more Philistines in this one moment than he ever killed in his entire lifetime. 
And then the question is like, now where is Samson? Does he have eyes now? Like, is he blind now? Is he dead now? So the point is in, in the telling of the Samson story, I do, I change the edge. I change the boundaries of the world. I do a dual world thing so that I can show that, that boundary, that edge yeah, differently than exists in this world. Um, but anyway, tell, you know, tell the whole story. So if we're talking about tragedies, sad endings, there's tons of them and there's tons of, you know, Saul has a sad ending, like, but yeah, the person who has a tragic ending is Jonathan. Okay. So you mean tragic in the sense of got what they didn't deserve sort of Greek sense of the, yeah, Saul is just getting his desserts, right? And he kills himself. Yep. Jonathan is bound in covenant to his father and to David. You know, Jonathan is the Both one. Both the king and the new king. Jonathan is the one who has a tragic flaw. Traditionally understood, he's the house divided against itself. You know, he's the one, he's the man loyal to two kings. Mm-hmm. And is trying to navigate that loyalty throughout uh, and dies young. Yeah. You know? I mean, he, we, I for, had forgotten that he almost got stabbed by his dad also. Yeah. Like it it uh, isn't just yep. David. <laughs> yep. Saul tries to skewer Jonathan also. Yeah. So in our next podcast, we're talking about the story that we'll get into David more. But, um, but anyway, as far as sad endings go, there are like micro sad endings. There are plenty of them. Lots and lots of sad right. endings. But all of them have to be seen in context in the wider, in the wider frame. Right. I, I, and we don't have time to get into this. But I'm just reminded of when the moderns tell a very sad story. So when, uh, what's his name? Steinbeck tells of mice and men and yeah. has that kind of gut wrencher at the end. That's almost a tool. I don't feel that it's more realistic. People will feel the bad ending is realistic, but I just see Steinbeck messing with your emotions to make you feel a particular way. Yeah. With that bad ending. It's not like he's being honest and those who tell the happy ending are not being honest. Right. Or, or similar with Doll's House, you know, jumping back, where you have that story of the desperate housewife who kills herself, Ibsen's play that became yeah. kind of a feminist. Those kinds of things are not more real, but they get this cultural cachet of being more real. More realistic because they showed you something, something poopy. Yeah, that you <laughs> hadn't experienced yet. So you have all these happy people yep. reading these sad stories and they think, man, this must be real because I haven't experienced it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't quite get that move. <laughs> Yep. Now this is it is true that there are a lot of aspects of the world that are, that people try to hide. There's a lot of aspects of humanity and the human experience that people try to keep hidden away. And so there are there's a temptation to, you know, get behind the veil and then to not know when to stop. So it's kind of like when the Overton mm. window moves, my son was pointing this out, is when the Overton window moves far enough to the left, which is what it's been doing, that people on the right who've been left behind have no metric for insanity. You know, like which, which ideas are insane and which ideas are reasonable or were right. reasonable. Because like, yep. all of you are now like way outside, you know, the realm of discourse, of acceptable discourse. So is a Holy Roman monarchy the answer? <laughs> and like he's got, he's got friends in school who are like, a monarchy is the only way. And oh, okay. It's just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> what? Uh, abolish women's suffrage, says some law student at Columbia University. <laughs> and you're like, what? Oh, yeah. You know, like this is, and so it's it's sort of this, it's this odd moment where there's no, there's no spectrum at all um, once, it, once it moves. 
And you have the same th- the ba- same thing yeah. when you put the we put the veil of what is taboo or what is off screen. If you are too uh, if you're too Victorian and you put that veil, you know, too far into okay. into yeah. normal life. And so you don't allow art or stories to venture into the real, like quote unquote into the real, into the into explorations of the real humanity of people. And you only see people after they have their makeup on. You think it's just all the movies in the 1950s when people are in bed with full makeup. You know, it's like, and that's, that's it. Then once you go past that veil, you don't know where to stop. Like you're okay. just, you're kind of like past the fence. There's no guidelines for like, how much is too much? We're pushing too far. Um, and so, you know, you want to, you want to try to basically, once again, circling all the way back, get your guidelines from scripture. What's the kind of thing that is acceptable to tell? What's the kind of stuff that's okay in storytelling? And I'll tell you what, that that line is a lot further than scrupulous evangelicals think. Right. It's a lot. So as much as you make fun of baskets of kitten storytelling, yeah, you know, um, yeah, you're you're just saying that that it's not all baskets of kittens. No. And in fact, it's not all baskets of kittens. And if you take your guidelines from scripture and the kind of stories that scripture tells, uh. Man, the stuff that's off limits is real bad. <laughs> like it's the stuff that can be permitted is permitted in particular forms of execution, but a lot more is permitted on screen and in storytelling than we might initially expect. And my source for that is the Bible. Footnote. Footnote. The Bible. Read it. We'll talk about that more in the next episode. That's it. Episode 55 is out. Bad endings. It was a bad ending to our episode. (laughs) That was great. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to get your copy of Indy Wilson's feature film, The River Thief. Available now in Blu-ray and DVD at canonpress.com.